Welcome to the Being Human podcast with Amelia Vegting and Jez Francis. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Hello, I'm Jez Francis. And I'm Amelia Vegting and welcome to the Being Human podcast, where we explore what it means to be human in this world we find ourselves living in. Jez, we've introduced this podcast um, in the same way every single episode. Has this become a bit of a habit? Ooh, I see <laughs> what you've done there, Amelia. Nice setup. And yes, I think it probably has. So our topic for today is the universal human experience of habits. So I thought I'd start us off with a quote, something a bit different, mm. hopefully something that underlines your point. So see if you can guess who said this. We are, all of us, creatures of habit. And when the seeming necessity for schooling ourselves in new ways ceases to exist, we fall naturally and easily into the manner and customs which long usage has implanted within us. I'm a bit stuck there. Please reveal who said that. That was Edgar Rice Burroughs in his 1916 novel, The Beasts of Tarzan, when he coined the very popular expression that we all know now, we are creatures of habit. Mm. So, Amelia, what springs to mind for you when we start to think about habits? Well, immediately, if I think about myself and habits that I have, I think one that everybody picks up on quite quickly is I am a clicker in terms <laughs> <laughs> in terms of I can do my fingers, neck, knees, toes, back, anything. Um, and Jez, you quite often when I'm sort of having a bit of a crunch moment in the office and need to click my neck or something, I get a vegting coming yeah. from beside me. I'm secretly quite envious, actually, because it always <laughs> sounds so comforting. Can you do it now? trying to change that in terms of making it better for everybody around me not to have to hear me clicking away is that I would find that really really challenging you know developing new habits or changing old ones is really difficult it requires you know power time and energy but I'm hoping that our conversation today is going to help me understand a little bit more about why that is but what about you Jez what does the word habit um, mean to you? So when I think of habits, or, or certainly my own habits, past and present, I, I don't know why, but I tend to think about bad ones first. Um, I used to smoke, for example, uh, which I managed to knock on the head nearly three years ago now. Um, and interestingly, to stop smoking, I had to give up drinking alcohol too, because the two things were so inextricably linked, so powerfully associated with one another. So a bit of a two for one then. <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose you might say so. But for the absence of doubt, let's just be crystal clear. Like all good rock and roll stars, I'm not without vice. Oh, dear. I have a biscuit addiction, as you know. Yes, the rule of four, which, by the way, that's a, a rule that only you yeah. follow. Biscuits can only be eaten in multiples <laughs> of four, the consequences of which I try and offset with a bit of running, which I suppose is a, is a, is a good habit. But in preparation for our conversation today, I've been thinking about some of the less conscious routines or habits that I have. Mm. So I asked uh, Rebecca, my wife, to help me shine a light on some of those. It turns out she had quite a lot to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll go on then. What What are your top three? Because we we don't have all we don't have all day to go <laughs> okay, through them. Yeah. So well, look. So in no particular order, some of the things that we talked about were. Buying a coffee every morning at the station. Mm -hmm. um, I just did that instinctively, whether I'm thirsty or not. And actually, when you look at the bank statements, Adds up. it really does over the course of a week, yeah. a month, a year. Um, so that was one thing that we, we talked about. I stay up late 
watching rubbish, getting lost in YouTube. You know, I might start looking at a guitar tutorial or, a, a, you know, a running shoe review and then having spent hours watching somebody metal detecting in a canal right. somewhere, for example. And in turn, that means then the following morning when my alarm goes off, I hit the snooze button, you know, fairly habitually, uh, at least twice, maybe three times. And I think the other, the other habit that we talked about, I, you know, I procrastinate. I'm one of the world's best at that. Um, <laughs> You know, generally in life, but particularly when it comes to getting on with jobs and things that need doing around the house, you know, I really struggle to get started on things. And invariably, I leave things until the last minute. Mm. I guess the eye-opening thing for me was realizing just how much I do or don't do yeah. on autopilot, you know, some of which is helpful and some of which is not. Well, in a moment, we're going to be joined by today's guest, who is Dr. Alice Penn, medical doctor, corporate finance exec, and now successful entrepreneur, to learn more about habits and the role that they play when we are looking to make changes. You know, what they are, why and how we develop them, and how we can curb them. But before that, Amelia, have we got time for a boring things about me? Definitely. The part of our podcast where we ground ourselves in the more down-to-earth reality of what it means to be human. Right, Amelia, whose turn is it to start this time? I think you might be procrastinating again there, Jez. So, (laughs) right, I've got one. I'll go go first. You go. I have recently become the proud owner of a set of packing cubes, which are Mm. sort of material thin boxes that help you organise your luggage whilst going away on holiday. So you have different rectangles, squares of different sizes to put different clothes items together. Because you know that thing when you go on holiday and your bag is perfectly packed on the way out and it's an absolute car crash on your way home. Yeah. Do these cubes fit together like Tetris yeah, so they all... fit nicely within your, your, yes, your suitcase? very satisfying. Packing is never going to be the same following these. Um, but what about you, Jez? What do you have to share? Okay, so Dennis the dog and I went for a run on the common at the weekend. Mm. Um, and because we've been talking about habits and routines and being on autopilot, I thought I might try a different route. So I took a left turn down an unfamiliar path. Oh, Jez and Dennis the explorers. And then each crossroads that we came to in the sort of the trail, I would either go left or right sort of randomly. And it was quite good fun, you know. I was seeing bits of parts of the centre of Bookham Common that are just not known to us. Right. Um, and then inevitably we got lost. <laughs> so, um, and I sort of broadly, roughly worked out in which direction the car park was. You can kind of do that by thinking about where the road's listening for where the roads are and where the traffic is. Um, so I sort of headed as the crow flies in the direction that I thought... But you c- really sound like you're in the wilderness here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, deep is sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but anyway, this took us through muddy bogs, a stream, you know, fairly thick brambles and what have you. Um, and so when we did finally reappear on the familiar path, Dennis looks like he always does, which is very muddy and very happy. Uh, I look like a complete mess, it has to be said. Um but I, I had a, I felt a sort of a strange mix of both relief because we weren't lost anymore. Yes. But also a little bit energised by our adventure as well. So not how I normally feel after a run, which is just exhausted, really. So the, you know, changing it up actually added something. Interesting. But anyway, there we are. Boring things about me. Right. I think it's high time we welcomed our guest, Amelia. Yes, I couldn't agree more. Dr. Alice Penn, welcome to the Being Humour podcast. Hi, Jez. Hi, Amelia. I'm really excited to be here. So thank you very much for having me on. 
before we leap into your world and all the work that you do on habits and change, do you mind if we just ask you a couple of questions to help us get to know you a little bit better? Of course, far away. Okay, right. This is always a good one. Mm. So, Alice, when you were growing up, what did you want to be? So funnily enough, if I think back, I remember, and it might have been watching a little bit too much LA Law at the time, which will (laughs) give you an indication of my age, but I certainly had a vision of myself with a little suitcase, a briefcase, and I'd be going into somewhere important. So I think I pictured myself as some kind of business person or a lawyer, but that was definitely interspersed with moments of wanting to be a detective or an archaeologist or a gymnast or a ballet dancer. So I think I was a little bit um, all over the place in, but definitely had the sort of business lawyer type of idea, which was a little bit then forgotten about when I went and decided to go to medical school at the end of my school career. But that's that's a different story. Oh, very nice. That's all sorts of different stuff you've seemed to have explored at one point. Um, second question for you, which screen villain do you secretly cheer for and why? So I must say that I'm I'm definitely a bit of a good girl. So I don't, you know, I sort of try to do the right thing all of the time. I'm quite, I even saw my grade one report the other day and I said very earnest and serious. So I struggle to think who from the villains I'd support. However, I did grow up in South Africa and after I watched Jaws, I was extremely petrified and terrified of swimming. Mm. which is a bit of a problem when you live right next to the beach. So I think sort of later on in life, if I ever watched Jaws again, I actually probably cheered on the shark a little bit. (laughs) Come on now, get the people. (laughs) 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 Go for it. Interesting. So So were you, having watched that movie, did it change how you felt about the ocean? Terrified, yeah. Okay, really, my my father was a very good Springbok, so national um, lifesaver. Um, my parents are big into all their water sports. Both my dad who's in his 70s, he still surfs. Wow. So we grew up swimming all the time. But I would just have this, you know, the, the entire time, even if I was in a river, probably mm. even a dam, I would think, mm. oh my gosh, a shark is coming. So it didn't stop me completely, but I was always terrified. Yeah, it really made a big difference to me. I always think it's interesting with that because we go out into their territory like that's their home well, the author the, the chap that wrote Jaws yeah has been quoted on many occasions since as being deeply regretful about how Definitely. The, the story has influenced people's relationship or how mm. they perceive risk associated with sharks interesting so um Alice next question for you if you could switch lives with someone for a day who would it be and why at the moment I think it would be with my one-year-old nephew called Max because he's literally living his best life, that kid. (laughs) He's loving every minute of the day, it seems. He's surrounded by um, his family and he just looks like he's having a whale of a time. And I guess if I was him for a day, I would get to be with my other nephews and nieces who are back home in South Africa and and my family. So that's probably a little bit bit of homesickness kicking in. He's having a great time. He's learning as well. He's that age. Not having any sort of worries or responsibilities and just living for what you want to do. And also he's he's the third child and there are also two dogs. So I think he's mostly sort of left to his own devices. You'll find him <laughs> chewing on a mop and exploring the dog food bowl. <laughs> and yeah, like he's all over the place. So he's just having, he's having a great time. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Sounds idyllic. Alice, let me ask you, what's the last book you really enjoyed? 
So I read a lot of nonfiction and I often read a few books at a time because of my work and what I do. Um, and probably one of the recent nonfictions that I've loved and I've actually read a few times is The Big Leap by Gay mm. Hendricks, which is all about breaking through your own upper limit or what I'll call your glass ceiling. So how to take that step to have the courage to make the sort of change to be at your best and really test the limits of where are you really in your genius zone? Where are, where are you sort of in your superpower zone mm. and how to actually break through where the sort of comfort zone where so many of us operate. Mm. Um, so for me, that, that book has been very inspiring. Is that a book you come back to? All the time. So I've read that many times and he talks a lot about things that you might not even be aware about around self-sabotage and how we're so accustomed to living in a certain zone. Even if we complain about where we're at, we'd like more, we'd like to do something different. We just get sort of complacent and, and almost just get used to complaining and, and living in this zone and how we sometimes even subconsciously will sabotage ourselves from breaking through. So just as we get close to more fulfillment or happiness or whatever word you want to use, mm. we will subconsciously do something that will scupper us from, from breaking through. So I find it quite interesting book mm. from that point of view. And so lastly, Alice, uh, to bring us to where we want to focus with you, what's a habit that you'd like to curb and perhaps one you'd like to develop as well? So the habit I'd like to curb would be biting my nails I'm on and off with that one. That's something my parents <laughs> tried to crack with various techniques as a child, including promising me that they'd give me a middle name because I don't have a middle name. And that's all I really wanted at one stage. Please give me a middle name and I'll stop biting your nails. <laughs> what did you want to be called? I have no idea. <laughs> so I just wanted a middle name. My brother had one and I was quite indignant. Why did I not have one? I didn't get a middle name. I did stop biting my nails for a while. I think I got some sort of hobby clay or some, something, some <laughs> game to play with rather. Um, other than that, I also, because I edit quite a few of my own YouTube videos, I can see through the transcripts how I say so and really over and over again. I have oh, well, to keep deleting it. So. We'll get producer Chris to <laughs> yeah. uh, keep an eye out. Yeah. And then what do I want to begin doing more of? I used to meditate every single morning and I'm trying to get back into that again because I do find it beneficial uh, and I have fallen a little bit at the wayside. So I need to create some sort of system and I'm sure we'll chat later about how to create habits where I can actually begin to embed this behavior mm. down again. Wonderful. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for giving us a little insight into you and, and what makes you tick. So if we turn our attention now to sort of the focus for today's conversation, um, first question for you, how would you define a habit? Um, you know, what are some examples of habits, either good or bad, that perhaps we might all recognise? I think intuitively most of us know what a habit is. It's something that we undertake mm. repeatedly and we're usually not aware that we're doing it. So it's not something that we're necessarily choosing to do. And it can be either an action or a thought. Um, so it's usually involuntary. Um, but how I also like to think about it is there's a two-way communication system in our nervous system. Mm. So we have what we call bottom up or top down. And bottom up is we'll pick in inf up information through our senses, 
they'll become perceptions. Perhaps we'll experience different feelings. Thoughts may even or emotions may arise from that. And then our brains will respond in a way that we are not aware of. So subconsciously with an action or with a thought. Mm. And most of what we do is this bottom up sort of outside sensations upwards to the brain. Top down is the second way that we have communication through our nervous system. So activation of our prefrontal cortex is front part of our brain that's responsible for all sort of cognitive control, decision-making, et cetera. Yeah. And then directing a impulse down through to create an action or thought. So that's deliberate. Now, most of what we do is reflexive or habitual for various reasons that we'll get into later. And I guess in terms of, and that's really what a habit is, it's a hardwired loop. It's mm. a, um, a stimulus um, that we is fed back to our brain and a way of responding in a thought or a um, action that we are usually not aware of. Or we are aware of it, but we are not, it's not um, deliberate, it's subconscious. Mm. Whether it's good or bad, I guess, is different for everybody. So my biting my nails for me is a bad thing but they're probably worse habits out there. Yeah. Um, but most of what we do is habitual. Mm. Mm. Well, we were thinking in preparation for our conversation, uh, there's a fairly well-trodden path from our office that we all take to go to the local mm. shop to buy the same food at lunchtime. There's this sort of routine patterns of behavior as well, aren't they? So we tend to think of habits as sort of biting one's nails or um, you know, eating a biscuit in front of the TV. But there's, there's actually, when you, when you boil it down, there's so many things we do on autopilot every day. Well, think about if you drive to work, you know to stop at the red light. You might need to brake suddenly. Uh, you checking your blind spots. These things you're not saying, now I need to. You may be mm. saying, now I need to check. But most of these, you will sometimes arrive at work and not really remember what happened on the way because you've been doing that same route over and over again. I mean, essentially, when it comes to neuroscience, everything that you do in repetition is telling your nervous system for good or bad, or so for better or worse, that it's important. Mm. So anything that you've been doing over and over again eventually becomes embedded down and hardwired as a habit, as reflexive. I think some people said up to sort of somewhere between 40, but up to 95% of what we do is habitual. That is quite, <laughs> that's quite breathtaking, isn't it? It is. It, when you think sun, about it. But I do suddenly start thinking about everything that I do from like what my morning routine is of like getting ready yeah. first thing and when I brush my teeth, when I wash my face, that's all habitual that I don't think and until you shine some light on it, you don't really think about mm. in too much detail. Think about even if you sip your coffee and it, you will sense that it's a bit hot, you might blow on it. That's, you know, that's habitual. Mm. It's yeah. reflexive. Yeah. Even the small things like that. So when we start to talk more consciously about habits, it struck us that it's usually in the context of some sort of change we might want to make within ourselves, whether it's developing new helpful behaviours or, or trying to sort of put a stop to unhelpful ones. So, so what is it about that that interests you, Alison? And how did you sort of get into this world? So for me, I was, I already mentioned, I was quite earnest, serious child. But I was, my father is a very accomplished medical doctor, my mother has numerous degrees. I was the eldest child in my family. So it was no surprise that I was quite a driven child from a young age. Mm. But it was also no surprise that I began to equate being perfect and excelling with being lovable. Mm. And this is by no means a criticism of my parents. It's just how it played out. Mm. 
So I developed this perfectionism type style early on. And a lot of what I was doing became habitual, a way of thinking and feeling and acting mm. because I was trying to avoid, in retrospect, the pain and discomfort of getting it wrong, of not being good enough, of not being lovable. So I did everything that I could to be as perfect as possible. And this just ratcheted up. Again, it's repetition, isn't it, over mm. the years. And as I got into adulthood, you know, I got through medical school and I was practicing as a doctor. I also, unfortunately, was the person I was married to had some severe addiction problems. So the more perfect I was trying to be there in my relationship, it, it wasn't really making any difference. So I started to develop struggles in my interpersonal life. But over the years, this perfectionism really became a coping mechanism to try and control what was going on in the world around me. So the more perfect I tried to be, the harder and harder I worked. I slept less and less. I exercised more and more. I was driving myself and literally just living on grit and perse perseverance alone. Mm. And my health took a knock. So physically, I was really actually in a terrible place by, at the end of this phase of my life. Uh, my mental health was not in a good place at all. I actually needed some time away from work and I needed professional help with some intent, you know, some really good professional help. And I was very fortunate enough to get it. However, I was told, look, your coping mechanisms have become so reflexive. So we've just been talking about that. They were habitual to me, the way that I was thinking and feeling and acting. This is so ingrained, it's unlikely, I was told by professionals, that your, your brain is really fixed. Mm. For you to make real change is going to be very difficult for you. And I felt at the time quite despondent mm. because I'd hoped, you know, to be able to make change. But there was still that determined part of me that thought everything I'd been through with my health, my physical health, my mental health, in my marriage, I didn't want it to be in vain. And so I I at that stage decided there's got to be more than just being told you kind of, your brain pathways are fixed and mm. we just need to work with it. So that's why I developed a real interest in neuroscience. And despite the fact that I was a doctor yeah. for 10 years uh, before I made my big career change to working in finance and before having my own business now, despite all of the medical knowledge, you know, we weren't really taught about neuroplasticity or in fact, when I was at medical school, we were told, look, from the age of 25 onwards, your brain is quite fixed. Mm. So there was this part of me that thought, yeah, probably change for me is, may not be possible. But I, I since then have developed this passion for neuroscience, for actually helping people make real change. You know, if you've got that feeling in you that there's, you've still got something to give, you mm. haven't actually been at your best yet. And that's how I felt. I think so many of us feel like that though. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's what put me in the space that I am now where I'm trying to help people who say, hey, I've, life is kind of good, but there's more of my full version of myself out there in the world. I want to figure out what it is. That's my thing. And that's how I've got into kind of the science of change and the work that I do. It's a fascinating story of how you've got there. So if we talk more into sort of habits and how they work, why do we have habits? It's really because if we had to be consciously um, aware and, and deciding and choosing everything that we're doing, we wouldn't be able to get through our day. Mm. So what we, we need things to be reflexive and habitual. But one of the, the, the reasons is also that 
So the brain itself um, is designed to conserve energy. It's only, you know, it's under 2% of our body mass, but it uses well over 20% of our energy. So mm. it's an energy hog. So it really likes to try and save our energy and conserve our energy. And when we're talking about that two-way communication system, when you're doing anything top-down, when you're doing anything deliberate, it takes a lot of energy. Mm. Again, it's one of the reasons that makes change difficult because you have to choose to overcome the feelings that come up, that resistance, and mm. put energy and effort in in order to take that deliberate action. That's one of the main reasons is it's around energy conservation. Yeah, because you do think about when you've been doing something and you felt like you've really concentrated on it, you are tired at yeah. the end of yeah. that. Like it, it is exhausting. So if you had to be that concentrated on working out how you're going to get to work every day, <laughs> you would just be knackered. Yeah, it would be exhausting, wouldn't it? Alice, you mentioned the habit loop earlier on. So for my benefit and for those listening that perhaps are unfamiliar with that as a concept, can you just explain the difference between signals and responses and rewards and so on? So I, I guess I use slightly different terminology to explain that. So I kind of dial back and I say to people, look, you need to think about a habit, whether it's a behavioral thought, as a neural pathway. And mm. I get people to picture neural pathways a bit like animal tracks through thick vegetation. So if you've been like where I come from on safari or wherever there's thick shrub um, woodlands, you can see where animals have crashed through thick vegetation to make a path and they've walked up and down that path over many years as part of their daily routine. And that's really what a neural pathway, something that's become habitual is like. So it's, it's ingrained. It's like that track through, through the vegetation. This is therefore something that's hard, becomes hardwired into our brains. I sort of call it a thinking, feeling, acting loop. We think or we feel a certain way, we act a certain way. And I describe that bottom-up reflexive pathway, so it can come in from sensations, perceptions. But this um, loop just becomes like that animal tracks. We go round and round and over and over it, and the same thing keeps playing playing again because it's much easier to walk down that track, isn't it, yeah. than to take out your machete and crash down all the trees and get through the thick shrubs and vegetation to make a new path. Yeah. So that's what happens in terms of the neural pathway. And when it comes to actually laying down a new neural pathway, for better or worse, whether it's a good or a bad habit, mm. it occurs through neuroplasticity, which all that really is is saying something has stimulated the brain and the nerve cells to create a change in the brain. So for better or worse, something you've been thinking, feeling, and doing over and over, day after day, has through neuroplasticity laid down a new neural pathway. So when we're talking about creating new habits, we talk about creating a new pathway. Okay, the bad news is it can be difficult to do. Change mm -hmm. is hard because it requires energy and effort. But the good news is it's possible. Yeah. Because we can self-direct our neuroplasticity if we know how. I guess, you know, what could be our million dollar question of this podcast is how do we create new helpful habits or curb bad ones? Look, I mean, that's something that we could talk about um, for hours on end, but just to <laughs> first of all understand something really important, which is for neuroplasticity. So for change, new mm. pathways to be embedded, you need two phases. 
You need an alert and focused state, sometimes even a little bit of agitation, a little bit of strain, because that releases certain neuromodulators that highlight and mark the cells for change. Then you undertake this new action, and it is that process that helps you overcome that resistance you may be feeling to change, which is because change is hard because your brain is making it hard to save energy, right? So mm. you need that alertness, that focus. It needs to actually be a little bit difficult to mark those cells. So that's mm. the first thing I want people to understand. It is going to be a little bit tricky, but you actually want it to be to make it effective. The second stage and phase that people forget about is that you need sleep. So it's the alert focused toggling with the sleep. Your change does not occur while you're performing the action. It actually occurs and is embedded when you sleep. So what I'm getting at here is you need to undertake these two phases in repetition. And that's the key here. It's doing something consistently and repeating it. So doing the action, sleeping, doing the action, sleeping, that embeds down the new pathway. So we need to know this because we need to understand we therefore need to do something that we can consistently do on most days, right? That's the key. We know that the single most important determinant for change, whether, you know, habits is your identity, what you believe about yourself, mm. what you see um, about yourself. And this, Jez, will tie in with what you were saying about environment as well. So your identity is at the core of, of change. And if you really are serious about making long-lasting change and rewiring and refiring those neural circuits, the key is to really think about future you, mm. your future self. Who is that? Who do you want it to be? What is your big vision? And what do you have to do in order to break that hardwired loop that we were talking about? Is Because if you just keep doing what you've always done, you'll just keep getting the same results, right? Mm. So we are on autopilot and the, just the past just keeps playing out in the future. So you have to consciously choose to think, feel, and act differently. And the way to do that, one of the best ways is through identity. What would future you do? So if you want to improve your fitness, you can't wait to get fit to start to think, feel, and act like a fit person, right? Yeah. I know. I'm just, I'm just, I'm laughing because I, every time I think I want to try and, you know, be able to run a 10K, I go on one run and I'm like, why on earth can I not do it yet? (laughs) Yeah, sorry. This all feels way too familiar. It is hard. Yeah. So you have to stay, say, okay, what does somebody who can easily run 10Ks do? What do they do? How do they think? What, Mm. even just what are the choices they're making around the, the running? Let's say you're trying to stop drinking. Does somebody who doesn't drink hang around in the pub with their friends that drink too much? Maybe not. Maybe, you know, you've got to ask yourself these questions. What does future you do? And as James yeah. Clear, who, if you haven't read his book, Atomic Habits, you should. That's yeah, another an great book. book. Yeah. He'll say everything you do is a vote for or against future you. But you need to know who future you is. So that the first thing is to do the work for what is your big vision and, and who, what are you really, I don't want to use the word goals, but what is your big vision? What's the, what's the sort of outcome that you're looking for? So once you've got that, and there's a whole lot that you can do around visualization and actually thinking, feeling, and acting like this person, even though you don't feel that you're there yet to actually begin to experience what that's like, that is a way of changing the brain pathways. But in terms of 
habits, what I'd suggest is saying, okay, I now know what my big vision is. What are my intentions or what are the things that I want to maybe achieve or, you know, I want to run 10Ks, whatever yeah. it is. And then to say, okay, it's not enough to have a goal. I just need, to, I need a system. Another James Clear quote, we don't rise to our goals, we fall to our system. Mm. So if you want to run 10Ks, what do you need to start doing in order to be able to run 10Ks? What is the system that you need to put in place? So focusing on your system is a big part of creating the habits that you desire. Yeah. Now, the biggest mistake people make, and this is because we've, we've said already from the science point of view that change is hard. You need that alert, the focus, the strain, the agitation. Yes, you need it. But if it's too much, you actually can't overcome the challenge. Mm. So the first thing is to start small. And it may be a lot smaller than you are expecting. Mm. I don't know if you've read James Clear's book. He talks about a man who has a lot of weight that he wants to lose. He's very unfit and unhealthy. And he starts by just getting up every morning and lacing his sports trainers up and putting on a sports kit. Mm. He does that for a few days until that becomes easy to do. Then he picks up his car keys, he gets in his car and he drives to the gym. Then after a few days, he adds in going into the gym, filling up his water bottle. And he slowly, incrementally starts adding in a few minutes of on the exercise bike. And over a year, he is able to consistently show up and exercise four or five times a week and has lost a huge amount of weight and is in good, good health and has got the fitness that he was looking for. So the biggest mistake is people are too ambitious too early. Yeah. And I know that we all want to, oh, I'm going to get up every morning. I'm going to run 10Ks. I'm going to run 5Ks. Maybe you just need a two-minute run around the block. Yeah, really breaking it down into interesting, smaller. Isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It's like compound interest. 1% better every day is 37 times better at the end of the year. Mm. But I do love yeah. this notion of small yeah. steps, small steps, small steps. I, so often I think I've set myself way too big a first step to achieve. And then you get demoralized when it doesn't happen, right? So even with my meditation that I said at the start, at the moment I'm just doing, even if I've done two minutes, I can tell myself, good job. Yeah. I don't have to think that's not good enough. I can say, great, I'm doing it. Two minutes today and slowly increase. There are other things that people can do to make forming habits a little bit easier. And the first one is to make it obvious. So if you want to pair it to something that you're already doing, like brushing your teeth or, mm. or a time or a place. And Jez, that goes back to that environment that you're talking about. So if there's something that you're already doing easily, try and pair the new thing to that. Make it attractive. So maybe pair it to something that you enjoy doing, like it's your cup of coffee. Mm. So maybe it can be both. It's For me, I could say, I'm going to meditate for two minutes before I have my coffee. Mm. Make it easy as the do it, you know, to the two minute rule is you just have to start with something. It's a consistency that's more important than the, the quantity. That's yes. my big take home message. And the final one is make it rewarding. So, you know, find some way of enjoying the process. You don't need to wait for the big, hey, I've run 10Ks to say I've succeeded. Yeah. You can actually know that doing something challenging, even if it is just getting up, lacing up those shoes and going around the block for two minutes, you have actually overcome that resistance to doing, you know, to doing something, you know, probably could have done nothing. Yeah. Um, and to actually feel rewarded that, yeah, I did, I did actually take some action today. So to be able to, everyone says enjoy the journey, but you know what I mean? Actually to, 
be able to reward yourself along the yeah, way yeah, during, during the process. So this is really making me think about, so a couple of episodes ago, Jez and I said to ourselves, we're going to try and do something new and test and see how we go in the run up to a conversation about habits. Mm-hmm. And mine was mm-hmm. reading for 15 to 20 minutes every day and finishing a book that I've started at the start of this year. And it's embarrassing how long it is actually taking me to finish this. <laughs> and I've failed completely. But from what you've been saying, I shouldn't have gone in with 20 minutes, even reading for one minute a day yeah. and actually building yeah. that up. Seem I would probably have finished it by now. So much of what you were saying then, when you think about something you've been trying to change, was resonating. I don't Do know. You th- in the context of identity, do you think of yourself as someone that reads books? Well, maybe that's where I needed to start as well. Basically, everything that I've done, I've gone about it completely the wrong way. My flatmate, Lucy, who I live with, she said in January this year, she goes, I'm going to be a bookworm. I am a self-proclaimed bookworm. And, you know, she bought herself a load of books. And then in, you know, January the 1st, 2nd, 3rd, she was in her room reading. And she's now read loads. And it was like she had told herself she was going... Mm to exactly. be that and that's exactly that identity piece it's like I am going to do it. I am that person and then you fall into that per- mm. it's, it's really fascinating it's, it's thought provoking isn't yeah. it yeah that I talk about with helping people with this future you I try and get people to do some visualization so even mm. if it's just while you get ready in the morning brushing your teeth or showering whatever it is just thinking who is this future me and if part of it is that you're a bookworm then you want to be picturing, yep, I love books, I love reading. And just really making a part of picturing this person who's, you know, you can just even picture yourself in your room and how much you're enjoying it and whatever. Mm. If just a few minutes, just starting to get that into your sort of brainwaves. Um, And and then thinking about um, when, what could you pair it to that, you know, when, and just starting with a minute at a time. I actually did that with reading myself. And I started with two minutes and slowly built it up and it made such a huge difference because it just became a habit that I would sit down and read for a bit at that time every day. Yeah. And I slowly increased the time and now it's it's something I would just I just automatically do. The habit I wanted to yes. develop um or the, the the routine I wanted to develop more of was practicing my guitar. I'm pleased to say actually that it has become a habit. It has become a routine and I and I, but I I think, you know, thinking back on reflection, I've hit some of the beats that we've been discussing purely by accident. So I do, and I always have thought of myself as a, as a guitar god. <laughs> <laughs> that helps. Well, I'll get you for Secret Santa this year as a guitar god t-shirt. <laughs> I also, you talked, Alice, about sort of making the thing obvious. So I have my guitar on my amp sitting uh, next to my desk at home. So it's, it's there, I see it. Okay. Um, but the other thing I've, done as well which I've actually so from a sort of a, a process or a system point of view I've signed up for some online lessons oh. so there's a cost associated with those which works go. for me um, and they're really you can you can take each little element in sort of 15 minutes 10 minutes five minutes if you want to so you th- th- they are very small chunks which actually over the course of the time that I've been sticking to this or trying to stick this I have noticed an improvement yeah so I am actually seeing and, and experiencing some joy. Yeah. I'm not sure my family would um, attest to, <laughs> to the same experience. But uh, it's just interesting thinking about this through the elements that we've been talking about. And I can actually start to piece this together. Now, Alice, I, d- I just had a question sort of triggering what um, Jez has said then about there being a cost implication. Or I can, you know, I signed up to a, a gym and I felt like that was going to change uh, my behaviour because you have that then 
accountability for going. What are sort of pieces of advice about holding yourself accountable to that? Because that's what is I feel like is really difficult for some things because if I don't read for 10 minutes a day, it doesn't affect me in any other way other than how I feel. So how can you help improve your accountability for something like that? Yeah, I mean, I think that is a difficult one. And I think it still does come down to what your big vision is and what you really want for yourself in your life. But I think in terms of accountability, it is hard to hold yourself accountable. But you have to ask yourself every day, is what I'm doing a vote for or against future me? That probably is the only way of of bringing yourself, grounding yourself. Or I will say to myself, what would, if I say in my business, I'm picturing what I would like in my business. What does that person who's already got that, what does she do? Mm. How does she react? How does she respond? How does she think? What choices does she make? And that can really sort of make me dial back and think, okay, no, I'm going to actually make a different decision today. Um, sometimes it's not the one you want, but it's like, yeah. okay, I need, I use that as a filter to, to bring myself back to what do I really want. Mm. But there are also just to, just to touch on something that I feel passionately about is it is important to also remember that overall having good nervous system, brain health, overall health yeah. is also going to make it easier to lay down new habits. Mm. We know, for example, in the first part of the day, you've got higher cortisol. So it might be the first eight hours after waking up, that might be a better time to try and do something that's more challenging. We know that having good social connections and good relationships with others helps our our functioning and actually can help in terms of um, the neuromodulators and things that we need in order to make change in our lives. We know that getting good sleep is mm. fundamental to all of this. So so it isn't just about hammering yourself, I need to do this thing. You know, there yeah. is a bigger picture and looking after your overall health and well-being is going to help you when you want to make these sort of changes. So just not to forget about that no, as well. I mean, I think that's extremely comforting for people who um, we all experience setbacks when we're trying yeah. to m- make changes. Yeah. So I think that will be... Um, reassuring to hear that you know you can being kind to yourself is actually a key part of actually making this stuff happen and making it stick Alice thank you so much for joining us I feel inspired yes I suddenly feel like I can go about trying to read more in a different way and it is going to be successful rather than a slog I think that's the difference now as I'm feeling excited about giving it another go rather than yeah, it feeling like a chore. Pair it with something. Pair it with something yeah. that's rewarding. You know, mm. maybe it's a favorite drink or something that you enjoy. Oh, yeah. But I also if you, if, you, if you miss it for one day, much like the change, 1% better every day is 37 times better at the end of the year. Yeah. You just don't want to miss too many days because it kind of works in reverse. So don't be hard on yourself. I didn't read yesterday, but I'm going to read today. Yeah. You know, just move on. Today is another, you know, you get to start again. That's the joy. So hopefully that will help people who are struggling to stick to something that they know they'd like to embed down in their lives. Thank you so much for joining us. And um, I'm sure we'll speak soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fantastic. Yeah. Thanks, thanks Alice. Alice. What a fabulous conversation, Amelia. What did you learn? Well, I have to say I found that really inspiring and genuinely I feel motivated in order to give my attempt to form a better reading habit another go. And I think what I'm really going to concentrate on is 
making those small changes rather than trying to make something really big happen. So starting at one minute a day of reading and building it up to 20 minutes a day and then see where that might take me. Mm. And I think the other thing that really hit home was how important that identity piece is in terms of who I want to be as a as Amelia the reader in the future. So I think I'm, you know, maybe spend a bit of time even writing a little paragraph about me at the end of the year, having read more successfully for this, you know, next next set of months and and see what books I might have read, how I'm feeling, what I'm doing and write that out and see whether that helps me to make the changes now in order to pick up the book more even often. Even just saying it is, is interesting, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. But what about you, Jez? What did you take away? Well, I feel really quite excited about experimenting with some new routines. Being more productive in particular, I think, would be a great place for me to start. But the thing that Alice said that really struck me, and I really wasn't expecting it, was how important sleep is in creating new habits. And I'm going back to what I was saying earlier about staying up later than I should. This is definitely something that I'm going to explore further. So it's usually about the time where one of us would say quite habitually something along the lines of that brings us to the end of this episode. But I think let's switch it up a little bit, Jez. No, we're deliberately not going to say that. (laughs) We're going to invite you to stay until the end and listen to the bloopers. Uh, We hope you enjoyed this episode (laughs) and the conversations we had with Alice. Please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Let us know what topics you'd like to see covered and get in touch if you'd like to be a future guest. You've been listening to the Being Human podcast. Brought to you by Just Add Water. Nurturing individual brilliance, forging collective strength. Sorry, I hit my wrist up on the table. Yeah, let me speak, (laughs) Jesus. What it means to be human in this world, we find... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh no I'm not going to have to well, look at you you're just you're not so far staring. away from a smile yeah. oh, well, yeah. okay I'll look okay. sad CTO <laughs> too oh gosh <coughs> <laughs> 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 right